Good morning. Feels like summer's coming, which is good, isn't it? So this week, this morning, is the last of this Jesus Is series that we've been looking at for the last few months. At the beginning of the series, we introduced the idea of reading some books, one a month. And some people I know loved them and read them all. Some people probably didn't read any of them. Some people loved the first book but didn't like the second or the third. Some people I know loved the the third book, weren't too much of a fan of the first one. We knew that these books were different, these resources were different. We knew that some people would enjoy them and some people probably would pass up on them. We want to grow. We want to be a church that grows, that learns, that listens and that discovers. And we we call this discipleship, and one way of doing this is to, to listen to messages or to read resources and to have conversations and questions. Uh, so we will continually be looking for opportunities to grow, to listen, and to learn. If you haven't read any of those books, uh, I'd encourage you to check them out. The information and the links for what they are and where you can buy them is on our social media pages. Have a look at them. But this is the last week, and this week I'm kind of bringing it all together, but at the same time it's not just a collection of 10 talks pulled together. There is something that I want to put as an idea, and it's an idea that I'm going to be working on with a couple of other voices in the mix as well. And the idea is this. Jesus is the main thing and not a side dish. I said that this morning to somebody, and they instantly said, ooh, coleslaw. And they they said, I don't know how I feel about that. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, I never go near coleslaw. Someone else was near them and they said, I love the coleslaw. And then there was this mixed vibe. So let's just, let's just level out the room now. Coleslaw, yes or no? Yes. Okay. I'm seeing a yes. Now you, those of you that said yes, don't know that the person said no was a younger person said, it's an older thing. (laughs) And maybe, maybe they were right. Uh, Jesus is the main thing, not a side dish. You've probably had these meals. Now, most times when we eat, there is a meal, and sometimes there's a dessert, not always. But every now and then, there are these special occasions where there's a big feast. It may be a Thanksgiving or a Christmas, and we go out. There's starters and appetizers and side dishes, and there's lots of them. And Have you ever feasted so much, grazed so enthusiastically on the side dishes that then the main event comes and you're kind of done and this big turkey is sat there like you didn't wait for me um sarah and i were introduced to the idea of mystery dining a few years ago this was great we love this we joined this, this company on a kind of consultancy part-time basis called secret squirrels and the way it works is a restaurant chain would book the services of Secret Squirrels and and we would get an email of restaurant options in our area and we would go and visit and write a report and the whole bill, the check, would be completely refunded. It was great. We, We went to all sorts of places, had some fantastic meals out and ordered food that we would never normally order because that's part of it. Now, the condition was you needed to check were you greeted within the first 10 seconds where you sat to your table. Was the table clean and the menu is nice? Because no one likes a sticky menu. Uh, and did they sell you up? Did they offer you the side dishes? Did they tell you what the specials are? And then you had to order a variety of things so you could grade it and write a report. 
And it was good. Now, the downside with this is they would be saying, would you like an appetizer? We'd say yes. Would you like this appetizer? Yes. In general, you would say yes to give the staff the opportunity to, to work their skills and tell you what they had. Now, by default, we would then end up with a large table full of food. We aren't the biggest family, um, but, it, but I was also taught to eat what's put in front of me and to leave a clean plate. So with some enthusiasm, we would attempt the task before us. But often, you'd fill up on the side dishes at the expense of the main thing. I'm using food as this analogy. Let me use one more uh, analogy that some of you will be aware of. This may be your experience. Have you ever had those days where there's a particular job in hand? There is a task that today, this is the task to do. And then you open your email at the beginning of the day just to see what's going on. And all these emails are there. They've, they've come in. It's a Monday. So over the weekend, they've all collected. And you reply to them. And the downside of replying to them is people then reply back. And then the phone rings. And you have this conversation and this email. And then this task comes in. And this task comes in. And then it's the end of the day. And the thing that you wanted to do somehow slipped and all of these other things, and often they're good other things. It's not that they're bad other things. But for one reason or another, the main thing slipped. The priority was missed. I do this all the time. I have these days. Uh, sometimes I have to be quite intentional. And that I would work on email between 9 to 10, then I would turn it off and turn it back on at 4, because otherwise the time between 10 and 4 sometimes can just be lost. And it's not that the other conversations, phone calls and emails were bad, but I missed the main thing. Anyone else have those kind of days, those kind of moments? These stories, these introductions, I want to look, what does that mean in the context of following Jesus? For many of us in the room, we would identify as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. Uh, but life's weird. And the emails and the phone calls and the side dishes, and some of them taste great. They keep coming. And sometimes the idea that Jesus is our one, our all, that we've died to ourselves to live for him, we see, see this inscription, we sing this, and we prayed this, but it's so easy to get distracted uh, by the side dishes. And in some ways, in the Christian world, it's as if Jesus has become the starter, the appetizer. You consider the story of Jesus and you pray this prayer at the beginning of your Christian walk. And then you progress onto more mature things of reading other scriptures and understanding the unique parts of the Old Testament or the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, which is all good. This isn't bad. I'm not making one thing bad to make something else look better. But Jesus is almost like a starter that we begin on in our infancy of Christianity and then progress to more important things. That's, that's a mistake. That's Feasting on the side dishes, which often are good side dishes, at the expense of missing the main thing. That's what I want to look at today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the New Testament book of Matthew. First book in the New Testament. If you've not got them, the 
words will appear on the screen as well. Matthew 22, verse 35 to 40. This is the most important, profound question that has ever been asked. People have often said, if you could ask Jesus, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? This question is possibly the best answer to that, where somebody goes to Jesus and says, just tell me, what's the most important thing ever? Because all the other things clearly aren't as important. Tell me the most important thing. We read this, Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, that's Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is like saying, what's the most important thing I need to know? If I only know one thing, what's the most important thing? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There's a full stop because often we keep reading quite quickly into verse 39. I intentionally want to pause. This is the greatest This is the most important thing, more important than everything else. It doesn't matter how much you know or what you've achieved. This is the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with your all, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your all, your intellect, your energy, your enthusiasm in the best moments and in the worst moments. And then after we've considered and fully got that, we go on to verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. There is a clear answer to the ultimate question. The first one, love God. Love the Lord your God. And the second one, love others as yourself. All others. People that look like you, act like you, vote like you. And those that are completely the opposite to you. That second, first, is love God always. It's easy to be distracted. When I was telling the story of being full up on side dishes and missing the turkey some of you are nodding and I told the story of having days where the emails and the phone calls come in and the day ends and you've not achieved the main task some of you are nodding it's easy to be distracted and distractions in themselves often aren't bad now I'm not someone who talks a lot about the devil or evil although clearly there is evil and you don't need to watch the news for long to see that there is evil in the world And there is a force that we can't understand that is pure evil that instigates and leads people to do terrible things. We don't deny evil. But if evil, if the devil can't make you sin because you're not silly enough to be tripped by some of those tripwires, he may distract you. And the idea of being distracted means that we're less effective of what we were meant to be of what we potentially could have achieved. There's times, and you may know people in sports who could have achieved more, but they were distracted along the way. 
and their career ended and they, they achieved this, but they, you know, they could have done more. I kind of believe that if the devil can't make you sin, he may distract you and therefore make you less effective. That I see all the time and I see the danger of it. Here are some distractions and some of these are easy to identify. Career, putting your career first. We know that we should love the Lord our God first, but there have been people who seemingly have loved their office more than anything else. And sadly, it's been to the detriment of themselves, their families, and their faith. That's a distraction. Most of us are nodding. That's a familiar distraction that's knocked on all of our doors at times, and we've seen it at other times where some people have opened the door too wide to that distraction. Hobbies and sports. I've got plenty of hobbies and sports. I could retire now and fill my days quite happily. I can't actually retire now, but if I could, I'm not one of these people who would be, oh, I've got nothing to do. I've got plenty to do. I, when I was a kid, loved to go fishing every weekend. And the condition of going fishing every weekend, and when I mean every weekend, I would go Friday night, pitch a tent, and fish through till Sunday, dreading that school's going to come around again on Monday, and it always did. But the condition that my parents put on was that they would pick me up at 8 o'clock Sunday morning because we went to church. Because the most important thing is to love the Lord your God first. And a distraction, even an enjoyable one like fishing, is not first. As a parent now, I'm looking at the responsibility of raising and discipling my children because, yes, I'm pleased that children's ministry is beginning. But let me say this, ultimately the responsibility rests with parents If I distract them from the most important things, then I would be very silly in later life to be surprised that they've not achieved the full ultimate goal of loving the Lord their God with all their mind, soul, and strength. This is a distraction. Another one, worries. And this is easy. The last year has provided so many opportunities for fear to be more dominant than faith. It's a distraction. We're less effective when we camp and pitch our tent in fear rather than in faith. Some other distractions. These are harder to identify. The reason these are harder to identify is because these are good ones. And here's the tension of being distracted from there's this main thing and there's these side dishes. The ones that we don't like, so if you're not putting your hand up for coleslaw, it's easy not to fill up on coleslaw at the expense of the turkey. But if you love coleslaw, it might happen. These distractions, I'll own the first one, ministry, instead of knowing and loving Jesus. I never want to be a professional Christian. I avoid sometimes using some titles because I don't want to just be in a job. Reverend, minister, pastor. These aren't bad labels, but the first requirement is to love the Lord our God. And my service to him is not as important as my adoration for him. It's a distraction. And it's a distraction that with joy and enthusiasm, we can love and run into some other distractions. Calling. I believe that there are people who are profoundly and uniquely called to specific areas to bring change and to be a voice 
some examples. And these are good ministry priorities. It may be evangelism or prophecy or deliverance ministry or racial concerns or environmental concerns or political unrest. There are people who are called to these areas of society and we need them and we cheer them on. But those concerns must not overtake the first priority, which first is to be someone who loves the Lord our God of all our mind, soul, and strength. Those concerns fit within the remit of the second commandment to love others. So we represent others in these areas which are important areas, and I'm not diluting their importance. I'm saying the priority is first and foremost, Jesus is the main thing. The side dishes, even though some of them we're absolutely called to, aren't the main thing. Love the Lord your God of all our mind, soul, and strength. That's the first one. The second commandment's important, but it's second, not first. Priorities. It's a challenge. It's not easily done. When we would mystery dine in restaurants, there was a favorite restaurant that we had. And our family grew to like it, and we went there often. And I remember when we took the children for the first time, and we were on a mission, being discreet. So we told them, okay, don't say anything. Just look around. Just let the waiter or waitress talk. And one of my children, who I won't name, very loudly leant in as the waiter was there and said, play it cool, Dad. And it was one of these beautiful moments. Um, play it cool. And I remember how easy it is to either see Jesus as the starter and we've moved on to more important things or to be distracted, especially if it's something that we're called to or that we love or we're passionate about. That's not wrong. We need those people in these areas. And I've mentioned in church ministry, in prophetic ministry, in racial concerns, in environmental concerns, in political concerns, we need good people in those places. But the ultimate priority is that those people love God first and love the call second. It's second. So what does this look like? I said that the first question in Matthew is someone saying, God, just tell me the most important thing. There's a disciple called Philip who asked Jesus, what does God look like? What a great question. What a fantastic question. What does God look like? And Jesus answered in John's gospel like this. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. God looks like Jesus. Jesus isn't the start or the springboard. He's the main thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we're centered on Jesus, if our focus is on Jesus, then we see what God is truly like. And we don't just see for the spectacle of the observation, but that it changes us and makes us like him. What you're staring at, what you're feasting on, what you're looking at will change you. Now we know that. If you focus on a dominant source of social media or, or, or news stream, if you look at the same thing, it's going to change you. It, 
what would it look like if our main thing, our main focus was Jesus? Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You've seen the whole picture, not just the start. Now, I have found personally that when Jesus is the main thing and my main focus, it's easier to celebrate the best days and also endure the worst ones. There's a story where the disciples of Jesus are on a boat and the storm is so rough, they're convinced that they're about to die. But Jesus is with them. And at the end of the story, he tells the storm to die down. But most of the story isn't the end. Most of the story, there's a storm going on. May somehow, in the storms, we learn to be content that Jesus is in the boat. That's a challenge. I'm going to invite Kim to come and share an extract of her story of what this looks like in her context. Let's welcome Kim. Thank you. Well, good morning. When Adam asked me about this, um, something in me is always, every time somebody asks me to share what I'm about to share with you, um, the answer is always yes. Um, so I want to give you a heads up that there may be tears. I, mine, maybe yours, we'll see how it goes this morning. Um, but when he talked, when Adam just shared the story about being in a boat and the storm raging around us, we had a family, or my own family, there was a storm that happened in 2005. I was married to someone different at the time. We were a blended family with four kids. It was a his, mine, ours situation. And it was a Wednesday in spring when I left for work. And it happened to be I was working in kids ministry at the time. I've worked in vocational um, church ministry for over 20 years now. But I was driving to work and I forgot something. So I turned around and I came back home to find my house on fire. My husband at the time, my first husband, and my youngest daughter, Emma, who was our ours, were still inside the house. And when I pulled up and I looked, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I clearly could see the smoke. I could clearly see the flames. But I couldn't figure out why there wasn't anybody else around. And so I walked in to kind of assess what was going on. I opened the door, couldn't really see anything, stepped back out, looked around the house, saw where the flames were, came back around, and just realization started clicking. The idea that this isn't what's supposed to happen. I, I work for God. I know we all follow God. But when you work in a church, you have this moment of, but I work for you. Like, I work for kids. Where's my daughter? Where's my husband? At that time, somebody ran up. Um, I told him that my husband and my baby were still inside. My baby was five. He ran in, ended up finding him. My husband pulled him out. Um, at that point, had also tossed me his phone to call 911. Now, I'll tell you, that's something that I never expected um, to do in my entire life, was to call someone and say, my house is on fire. After I hung up, the, they said the firefighters would be on their way. There's a moment where I fell to my knees. Now, I grew up in the church. I know Jesus. I've known Jesus, but there is a moment when everything is stripped away, when you don't have anything but Jesus, that you have a decision to make. 
And I am grateful by God's spirit that I fell to my knees that morning and I started praying, please find Emma. Please find Emma. The firefighters showed up. They did find Emma. Unfortunately, she did not survive. She died from smoke inhalation. And then I had to walk that journey of what does child loss look like? Those of us who are moms, who love kids, who are spiritual moms, you understand that fear. Dads, I'm not saying you don't. Moms, there's just something. And I had to look and decide, am I going to trust God no matter what? Am I going to look at him and say, as scripture tells us, that he's good even now? Because this is really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? This is where, when everything is stripped away, you have to make a decision to say yes or no. But we have good news. See, Jesus walked that same path. He didn't lose a child, but he gave his life. And he lived a perfect life for us so that when things like this happen in our lives, we can, as Hebrews says, we can keep our eyes firmly fixed on him and we can walk through that path too. Now, before you think anything of like, oh my gosh, how can she say these things? It's been a hard road. You're, you're seeing 16 years of life. You're seeing 16 years of learning what to do. And you're seeing the other side of a lot of hardship. You're seeing a lot of work with the Holy Spirit, a lot of surrender, a lot of releasing. And I will tell you, as much as I wish it was my choice that Emma was still here. Because it's not, I can still say that God is still good. That he is still faithful, even when everything is stripped away. Even when you face your worst nightmare, God still remains faithful. And we can do this, as Hebrews said, as I mentioned, by fixing our eyes firmly on Jesus. Because I'll tell you, in my own strength, I wouldn't even be standing before you, let alone continuing to serve in ministry. I wouldn't be able to talk about it. I wouldn't be able to share any good news. I wouldn't be able to smile. There's no way. But because of what Christ has done for me, because he empowers and strengthens me, as scripture says, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 10. Luke 10, 38 to 42. For some of us, this is a familiar story. Luke 10, 38 to 42. This is this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm aware that this is a familiar passage for many, and you already know something of the loaded story of which one are you? Are you Mary? Or are you Martha? Martha's the host. This is, this is significant. The New Testament writer is saying there's a lady hosting a dinner for others. It was entirely expected in the cultural setting that the host, especially a female host, would wait and serve the men. This is not an unusual story. Martha is doing what is expected, what is normal, what is right to do, apparently. Mary, on the other hand, sat and listened. The sitting at a rabbi's feet was a posture that was reserved for men only. And Mary has self-elected herself to this position, causing another cultural offense. Jesus, who I've described many times as being a revolutionary, as in turning the systems upside down, changing the order around to create a better framework, is entirely acting in keeping as Jesus the revolutionary, and he's fine by it. He's not just fine by it, he affirms it. We read nothing in the text of Mary's contribution, Mary's achievement, Mary's understanding, or Mary's success. So many of us would have added ourselves in. We would have co-contributed to the teaching. We would have owned some of the success, and we would have told Jesus what we'd achieved too, because some of us, our ministry, our priority, our goal is so important that we've made that the main thing. There's something to learn from Mary. Her main thing, whatever it may be. Her second commandment is firmly in its place. And the first commandment, to love the Lord your God, of which Jesus is introduced in this text as the Lord, subtle but powerful. And Jesus is the main thing, not a side dish. And Mary knows that and is owning that. So the question that you bump into almost as soon as you read this text is which one are you? Are you you Mary? Are you sitting at Jesus' feet daily, reading scripture, worshiping him, focusing on him as the main thing? Or are you distracted? And you can argue that your distractions are good. They're really good. You may be called to that distraction. But it's not the main thing. It's a side dish. I've enjoyed watching The Chosen, the film series of Jesus. As a guy, I don't necessarily see the Mary Martha other than the attributes of the way they respond. But watching The Chosen, I've seen how energetic Peter is in Peter's desire to do things for Jesus. I identify with that. 
You've got other disciples. John is a perfect example of someone who just likes to sit or in the context of the Last Supper, recline and just lean on Jesus and just enjoy chilling out and leaning and being close with him. Peter wants to do things for him, wants to go places, wants to do things, build shelters and shacks and take the story somewhere. I'm, I'm with Peter. And I'm challenged that Jesus doesn't shame Martha or doesn't tell Peter he's wrong for his over-enthusiasm to add his own contribution to the story. But he actually says the most important thing is just to sit, just to listen, just to be. And for those that choose that, it's not going to be taken away. And for those that don't choose that, we missed something. We missed something. So I like to try and give some encouragement. Do this, do this. There is no remedy that if you do this and read this, you'll get there. It's simply adoration. Sit at Jesus' feet. For some of us, that works at the beginning of the day, and it looks like we read the Bible and we pray. For some of us, there's far too much noise at the beginning of the day, and it needs to be a different time. It doesn't matter when. But at some point in your day, assume a posture that we see in Mary, or at the Last Supper in John, where we sit with Jesus. We don't even need to say that much. The wisdom of Mary is that she sat and listened. Jesus doesn't actually need us as much as we would like to feel that he does. He was fine before we were arrived, and he'll be fine when we're gone. A little bit like the waves. They were coming in and going out before you were born, and when you, you've passed, they'll still be doing that. Our greatest call is to love the Lord our God. And Jesus is the Lord our God. So read scripture. Have a posture towards worship. Church is such a strange scenario at the moment. I'm glad that we can connect online. I'm glad that we can have some people in the room. Uh, I'm not someone whose goal is to build an attendance. But I do want to build a conviction in us that we recognize that we were made to be together and whatever forum that makes, takes place, uh, I want to heighten the priority and say, uh, lean in, be present. It's very easy. Oh, the sun's shining, we'll do something else. Oh, it's cold and rainy, we'll stay in. I want us to be so devoted to Jesus that we seek him alone and we seek him together. And church is part of that. And reading scripture is part of that and worshiping is part of that. But this whole message isn't actually about what you do. It's about the posture of which you sit. May we learn from Mary or from John's reclining at the table. May we recognize that the side dishes aren't bad and there's some people who are uniquely called to be a voice in a particular area and we need it and we affirm that and we celebrate that. But we recognize that largely that fits in the second commandment to love others as ourselves and chiefly the most important call, the most important contribution, the most important posture that we will ever assume is to love the Lord our God with our all because Jesus is the main thing not a side dish.